Good morning, TC. How are you guys doing, huh? Everybody's good? Let's put your hands together one more time for Jesus in the house this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hey, listen, uh, I heard a joke earlier and uh, I wanted to share it with you guys. So there was, uh, it, it was right after the, uh, Jesus had come back, man, the world had kind of ended. And so Jesus comes back and so people are going to heaven. They're in line for heaven, right? And so uh, the one guy comes through and he comes up to the gates and so Peter comes, says, hey, listen, uh, come on in. What, what denomination were you? He says, I was Methodist. He says, oh, awesome. Okay, come on in, room 24, all right? But listen, when you pass by room 8, be silent. He said, no, that seems odd, but okay. So he went by and went to room 24. Next guy comes up. He says, what, you know, what denomination were you? He said, I was Baptist. He says, perfect, room 24. But when you pass by room 8, be silent. He said, no, that seems odd, all right? He said, uh... Listen, then another lady comes up, and he says, what, what denomination were you? She said, I was Pentecostal. He says, all right, room 24, but definitely when you go past room 8, be silent, okay? Some of y'all Pentecostals know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, so, so um, and then finally one of the guys says, he says, what denomination are you? He says, I'm non-denominational. He says, right on, room 24. But when you pass by room 8, be silent. <laughs> finally, he was the first one asked. He said, what? What's going on, roommate? He said, roommate is full of all the Catholics, and they think they're the only ones here. All right? So, anyways, <laughs> today, today we're going to deal with the iceberg called silence. Turn your neighbor and say silence. All right, let's get into it, folks. First Corinthians 15, 58. I thought y'all would eat that up. Anyway, so... So our, our, the whole idea behind Iceberg, so if you're new, this is your first time with us, and we do have some first-time guests with us. So TC, let's put our hands together for our guests that are with us for the first time, man. We're honored that you chose to be with us. Thank you so much, and, uh, and uh, hopefully you, you'll enjoy the service. The, the worship's awesome. The preaching's not too bad, I hope. So let's, let's get into it. But um, the whole idea behind icebergs, which is a series that we're in, is that when you look at an iceberg, and we have, we, we have what we call icebergs in our life. So the first week, we dealt with fear. The second week, we dealt with unforgiveness. Uh, last week, we dealt with vanity, which was the, the counteractor to peace in our life. We need more peace in our life to, to calm our restlessness, and Jesus provides that. And, and so uh, what we have is icebergs in our life that when we look at them, we feel like they're manageable because when we, we only see what's on the surface. So when I look at the unforgiveness in my life, I look at it and I feel like I can handle that. It's not that significant to me um, because when all I see is what's on top. But what we don't understand is just like with an iceberg in the ocean, 90% of the mass is under the surface. And if we don't deal with what's under the surface, we'll never get rid of what's on top of the surface. Uh, and so today we're dealing with the iceberg of silence. So turn to your neighbor one more time, say silence. Now turn to the person on the other side of you, you can just neglect it, tell them silence. All right, but that doesn't mean be quiet while we're preaching, all right? Feel free to hoot and holler. All right, so anyway, so let's get into it. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. And, and so what we've been talking about with this series called Icebergs is that you need to be both steadfast, which means faithful, moving forward. How many guys are ready for your relationship with Christ to be faithful and moving forward, right? It's not, it's not waiting in the background. You're not moving slowly, but God has a purpose for you. He wants to unlock that destiny in your life, and it's found in Jesus Christ. And then he wants you to be immovable, because how many guys know we can be faithful, but sometimes life throws us off track. Come on, somebody, like, right? Uh, so how many of us want to 
to be both faithful, steadfast, and immovable where life situations and storms don't rattle our cage, but we can stay steadfast on who God is, right? And so that's what we're talking about with, with the theme verse for the month. And today we're going to deal with silence. Um, but silence from the perspective of uh, that in our life, God has called us to take our faith, to take the good news, right, the gospel of Jesus, and he's actually called us to do something with it. He's called us to take it somewhere. He's, he's called us to, to be a mouthpiece for the good news that is the gospel. And so today we're going to talk about dealing with the ice of silence because we as believers need to take our faith and become proactive with it rather than waiting for something to happen in people's lives so that we can be reactive with it. All right? And so turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to be proactive. So I hope you chose wisely the person sitting next to you, and I hope you like them a lot. You might talk to them a little bit today, all right? Let's get, so reasons why we're silent. Let's talk about a few reasons why we're silent, right? Because there's reasons why we don't talk to people about what we believe. So let's talk about a few of those real quick. The first one is that we believe that nobody cares. How many guys have ever been in your workplace? You've been at a family function and, and you knew that you, you felt in your heart, man, I really need to talk to this person about Jesus, but I just don't think they're going to care, right? Like it, it doesn't seem like it's important to them. And so we don't say anything because we don't think anybody else cares. I think there's the other side of that too, where we don't have enough value in ourselves to feel like anybody would want to hear anything from us. And we certainly have to overcome that, right? Next one is the fear of rejection, the fear of rejection, right? And these are all in your notes. Hopefully you got notes on the way in the door. These are all in your notes. Fear of rejection. And here's an interesting thought. So rejection in your life piggybacks on the same neurological pathways as pain. This is an interesting, interesting thing. I didn't know about this until we started studying it. So in your mind, how many guys have ever stubbed the pinky toe on the coffee table? Come on, somebody, right? In my house right now, we have an island in the middle of our kitchen. It's been there since the day we moved in, right? It hadn't moved. It hadn't shifted. It's in the exact same spot. I caught my pinky toe on that bad boy last night. That'll test your faith, ladies and gentlemen, all right? You find out what kind of believer you are when the pinky toe meets an immovable object. You all know what I'm talking about? Momentum meeting an immovable object is a catastrophe, right? And uh, I, don't walk, I, like, I don't have much grace in my walking anyways, at 2 o'clock in the morning and trying to get to the cup of water. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You shoot, you're delirious. Anyway, so, but, so the same pathways in our mind that we experience when we experience pain is the exact same neurological pathways that we experience when we experience rejection in our life. Here's an interesting thought. How many guys have ever had someone flick you on your arm? It didn't really hurt, but you could feel it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, that didn't really hurt that bad. This is an interesting thought. The, the deeper the relationship in your rejection, the, the worse the pain representation in your own mind. In other words, if someone you don't care about rejects you, it's the equivalent of a flick on the arm. If someone you genuinely care about rejects you, it's the equivalent of the pinky toe on the kitchen island. It's an interesting thought because that should help us determine how we process rejection when we deal with it, because what a lot of us say is, we've been, we dealt with this a couple weeks ago, right? Well, I don't care about them. And that's our way of dealing with it. In reality, the neurological pathways are going crazy. But if rejection causes us to be silent, the fear of rejection causes us to be silent, then we have to recognize that as we take the gospel, as we take this good news about who Jesus is to people, 
Man, that it has to be something that we block off that pain of rejection and prepare for what God wants to do in someone else's life. Right? And so we have to, we have to do that. Next, uh, the reason we're silent, we feel like we're not qualified. How many guys, you, you want to talk to someone about Jesus before, you just felt like you couldn't because you're not qualified. Like, I'm not a pastor. I haven't gone through the 36 classes necessary to take the gospel into a world. Like, we feel like we're not qualified. Next is political correctness. Right? Now, uh, we deal with this in workplace, the military, all those things. Like, I understand that you can't just walk on your job or into your, onto your military base or whatever the case may be and just start shouting Jesus at the rooftops, all right? <laughs> um, especially in some of the places I work. Moving on. So we have to recognize what we can and can't do. But here's the deal. These, this is one of the reasons why we're silent. Let's keep going. Next is complacency or spiritual laziness. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you lazy? If they're, if they're asleep right now, you know the answer, and you don't have to ask them any more questions. Okay? No. Right? Are we complacent, and are we lazy? Now, what do we mean by that? When we're talking about complacency and we're talking about laziness, one, what we're more talking about is have we become complacent in the idea that we're saved and we don't need to do anything else with this good news because we're taken care of? I have loved ones. I have, I have cousins. I have family members that don't know Jesus do I become complacent in the fact that my eternity is taken care of, but theirs is not? Or do I take it as a responsibility to let them know the good news of who Jesus is, right? So we can't become complacent and spiritually lazy, right? Next is that we don't see the need. I think these two go hand in hand. We don't see the need, right? But here's the deal. I, I want to help you guys out with something, and this is probably going to spawn a class that we're going to have to do here at TC. But if you said a cuss word yesterday, that's, and, and that's not going to send you to hell. I just want to help you out for a second. All right? Shocking, I know. If you went to the club Friday night, that's not going to send you to hell. Let's take it another step further. If you're having uh, sex out of wedlock, that in and of itself is not going to send you to hell. Right? Now it's getting quiet. People are like, hold on, I have a question. <laughs> okay? I'll take it another step further. If you were to kill someone today, it's not going to send you to hell. The reason why is that the individual acts of sin does not create the consequences of hell. Sin as a monumental thing in our life and being a part of our nature because we haven't been made new by Christ is what sends us to hell. And what the church has preached is you can't do this and you can't do that 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 and you can't do this thing and you can't do that thing. If you do any of those things, you're going to hell. In all reality, those things aren't the problem. The individual things that I deal with in my life aren't the problem. The individual things that you deal with in your life is not the problem. The problem is you haven't been renewed and made brand new by Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. The individual sins in your life is not the problem. The sin in your life is the problem, and which is why we have to give that over to Jesus. Are those things problems? Yes. Are they the problem? No, because the problem isn't that I committed an act of sin because I can step into forgiveness for that. It doesn't mean we should willingly go out and do those things. It means that Jesus' grace can cover that. But if I haven't been made brand new by Jesus, 
Now the consequences are here. Does that make sense for you guys? In other words, we have to be made, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 has to come to light to us that we had to become a brand new creation. The old things are passed away and all things have become new. That we don't even want to dabble into the things of this world. We want to do Colossians 3 and set our minds on Christ. We want to be put away with the old things so that we can be fixed on the new things. It's not the individual things along the journey that get us in trouble. It's whether or not we've dealt with this mass of sin in our life that can get us in trouble. And if you've dealt with the mass, then we get to move forward in dealing with the small things. The problem is people try to deal with the small things, but they never deal with the mass. So we try to make sure we don't do this. We try to make sure we don't do that. We try to make sure we don't do this. We try to make sure we don't do that. And all the time, all of what is der- those little things are deriving from is this big thing in our life we haven't dealt with. But if we'll deal with the big thing, that'll take care of the little things. So, We have to see the need to not be silent because people think that they can only come to Jesus once they've got it together. In reality, you come to Jesus so he can get it together. Next, we don't know how. We don't know how to carry the gospel, right? I don't even have to look back there. I know who that was. (laughs) But we don't know how to take the gospel to people. How many guys will be honest with yourself for a minute and honest enough not to care about what the people around you think to say that you have had an opportunity in the last four to six weeks to share the gospel with someone and because you didn't know how, you didn't do it, right? Anybody? Okay, fair enough, perfect. We're gonna deal with that a little bit today because today we're gonna overcome the iceberg of silence in your life. Let's deal with the ice. One of the quotes by Rabbi Zacharias, who I think is just a stud, he's awesome. Apologetics, which is the ability to make an argument on behalf of something, particularly something religious. Apologetics is that, right? Apologetics makes the believer think and the thinker believe. And so we need to be brushed up on how we carry the gospel to a hurting world because the only way to introduce a solution to hopelessness is to have infinite hope. The only way to introduce a solution to brokenness is to have infinite healing. And the only infinite object is the infinite being. And the only infinite being is God. God is the solution to the broken world, my friend. And we carry that hope with us. His name is Jesus. Let's deal with it, folks. Dealing with the ice of silence. Number one, in your notes, we have to separate the pit and the palace. We have to separate the pit and the palace. How many guys have ever gone through things in life where you're like, man, I am definitely in the pit right here. Like, this is very problematic for me, right? Right? This is not a good look, right? I remember I used to, uh, when I was, through my teen years, I got into a lot of trouble. My mom will say amen. And uh, I got into a lot of trouble in my teen years. And one of the things that I did during that time frame, when I was uh, about 16 years old, I definitely broke some laws um, because I was roofing on the beach, doing tar roofing and membrane roofing on the beach, in the summer, listen to me, folks, I'll never do that again. If it comes to that, I'm gonna tell my wife to leave me and I'm gonna live some under, in a box because I'm not roofing on the beach ever again. For those of you that do it, God bless you and the grace He has given you. I'm never doing it again, okay? It was terrible. But while I was doing that, after I got done doing that, I remember after that, I got a, a, a few jobs that were noteworthy. One was at a Japanese restaurant, uh, one was at McDonald's, and one was at Subway right? And I remember working at those places and hearing people talk about how bad it was to work there. And I was sitting there in that air conditioning, like, I don't know what y'all talking about. (laughs) Because three weeks ago, 
It was 150 degrees on a rooftop, and I'm rolling black tar. Like, this is awesome, all right? So I got to make a sandwich for some grumpy old lady. I don't care. Like, I'll do that in the air conditioning. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And here's what we've done, right? We, we, we have connected the, the pits of our life with the palace, but here's what I mean by that. How many guys will admit that even on your worst day now with Jesus in your life, it's still better than your best day without him? That the pit that you could get into now was still far better than the palace you could have been in then. Like when God gets to come into your life, when he, when he comes in and he does that 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he makes all things new. That new person full of hope, full of faith, full of belief, full of healing, full of restoration, full of everything that God, full of joy, peace, righteousness, self-control, gentleness. As we become full of all of those things, man, we get to step into this amazing belief that God is more than enough to to supply my every need. He wants me to live in abundance. I'm not talking about with money. I'm talking about with joy. I'm talking about with peace. And we, when we get to live in that, we get to step into the idea that it doesn't matter how bad it gets today, it's still far better than it ever was before. And we got to separate the pit and the palace because we think that we can't take the gospel to a hurting world because we're going through problems. And in reality, the problems in our life is the very reason why we get to carry the gospel to the broken world. Fact. People don't care about the pe- people don't care about the gospel that you tell them about. They care about the gospel that they get to see you live out. In other words, we think that we can't tell people about Jesus until we get through the season of pain in our life. In reality, the season of pain in our life is what proves our faith in Jesus. How many guys ever had someone try to sell you something they didn't believe in? Right? Like when a dude is selling a curling iron in the mall. Listen, bro, you ain't never used that before. I'm, no, I don't believe you. Unless it's Richard Simmons, then maybe. But anyone else, like you've never used that curling iron before. Or you ever had someone try to sell you something at your door, but you could tell they didn't really believe in what they were selling. Listen, there's nothing worse than a salesman selling something that they ain't buying themselves. There's nothing worse than a Christian selling to Jesus that they don't believe is all powerful. In other words, I believe that Jesus will take me from where I am to a better place. And I'm not talking about giving me a better car or a better house. I'm talking about I believe that everything I'm going through my life right now is a small fraction of the bigness that God wants to do in my life. Because he's going to do bigger things and better things and amazing things in my life through myself, my family, this church. Because he's going to do that, I can continue to declare how good he is in my pit because I know there's a palace waiting for me. And so we have to separate the pit and the palace and realize what God wants to do. It reminds me of Paul and Joseph. So you remember Joseph got thrown in the pit and through the whole story. If you, maybe you haven't heard that story. He got thrown, his brothers threw him in a pit, got sold into slavery, got accused of rape, which he never did, got thrown into prison. And I mean, this dude is going through it all, right? And in prison, here's the thing that I think we need to understand as believers. We understand the difference between Paul and Joseph, Because when Joseph got thrown in the prison and his life wasn't going the way he thought it should have been going, all he did was talk, talk, talk about how this he didn't deserve this. And I think that's most of us, right? How many guys would admit, like, man, that's that's me. Like when I when life ain't going my way, I just talk, talk, talk about how bad it is. I think we need to be more like Paul. Paul gets thrown in prison unjustly. He's like, listen, you can throw me in prison. I'm gonna get this whole prison saved. 
Like, the guards too. Hey, man, come here. Let me tell you about Jesus. Like, that, literally, that's how Paul carried himself, man. He was so ready to do anywhere he went, man. It was about telling people about how great Jesus was. And in our life, we have to recognize that even in our pit is the time to declare Jesus so that when we get to our palace, we were faithful along the way. So we have to separate the pit from the palace. Number two, we need to recognize the depth of mercy and the height of grace. We need to recognize the depth of mercy and the height of grace. We need to remember what Jesus has done for you, what he's done for me. We have to remember because as we remember who Jesus is in our life, it motivates us to tell people about who Jesus can be in their life. And so we get to carry that. Here's the deal. Jesus didn't just save us from a bad life on earth. He saved us from an eternity in hell. And I wrote down a few things that, that we tend to view life through, but I want to show you the actuality of who Jesus is. So he didn't just eliminate the consequences of our sin. He justified us, which means he made us brand new. He didn't just make us not guilty. He made us innocent. He didn't just make us not dirty. He made us clean, right? He didn't just take us out of bondage. He actually made us heirs to the throne. He didn't just bring us to the palace, but he gave us a robe. He didn't just give us a robe but he gave us a room. He didn't just give us a room, but he gave us a mansion. He's not just taking people who are broken and putting them back together. He's taking people who are lost and who are orphans, and he's making them royalty in the kingdom of heaven. When you step into who Jesus is, he doesn't just take away the bad stuff. He makes you royalty to the kingdom in eternity. How amazing is that, that we're not just talking about the depth of mercy, we get to talk about the height of grace. You see, what you have to understand is that God went down to where we were to an extend an arm of mercy, right? Psalms 18.35 says this, you give me your shield of victory and your right hand sustains me. This is the part that I want you to see. You stoop down to make me great. Which means Jesus didn't wait for us to get it together so that we could come to him. He stooped low to pick us up. Because I don't know about you guys, God didn't find me in the Apple store of life. I wasn't sitting next to the shiny objects, okay? And even if some of us were next to the shiny objects, we were actually like refurbs. We were all busted up inside, but on the outside we looked good. Can we be real for a second? Jesus had to transform my life. So there was a necessity for mercy. Let me, I want to break down mercy and grace for you for just a second. Mercy is not receiving what you deserve. I remember when I was little, um, my sister collected those porcelain dolls. You know, ever seen those creepy things? All right. She collected porcelain dolls. And uh, they were worth like a lot of money. I remember I broke one one time. We were, I was really young. I was like five. I broke one. And I was terrified. Terrified. Right? I, my, my dad's going to kill me. I have a lot, I'm, I'm, it's going to be done. Five years old. That was all the life I had to live. It was awesome. It's been a good run. Thanks, everyone. You know what I mean? Like, that was what I had in my mind. And, uh, and I remember that um, my, my grandma actually replaced it before my dad got home. But not only did she replace it, she actually took me out for ice cream. <laughs> Mamaw, Bethley Filer, 
I love you. All right. Anyway, so, but, and I think that's a, a great tangible representation of who Jesus is. See, Jesus didn't just replace the bad in us, but he actually took us to something great. See, in mercy, she didn't punish me for what I had broken. By not, she didn't give me what I deserved by breaking something, but in grace, she even went a step further and gave me what I could never deserve. And Jesus steps in to give us mercy because we deserve hell. But he steps in with mercy not to give that to us, but then not, he goes a step further and gives us grace, which is to give us what we could never deserve, which is an eternity with him. I don't know about you guys, but that's something worth talking about. So I want to have one of my, my boys come up here. Juwan, come up here real quick. I want you to help me out for a second. I know he's talking to Anthony like this dude right here. Because I want to I I show you something. Just stay right there where you're at, brother. I'm going to come to you. This is what most of us think about when we, when we think about Jesus in our life. This is what we think. We, this is how we think God acts in our life. So we think that we come along. John, I want you to come sit right here. I want you to just, just sit, sit right there. There you go. See, Jawan here, my boy. Yeah. Okay. Been working out? Been working out a little bit? Yeah, I know. I was with you. So anyway, so, so Jawan, Jawan, somewhere along in life, Jawan has fallen. How many guys have ever fallen? Right, messed up, blew it, something, hurt, whatever, right? So along this path in life, Juan has fallen. And so this is what we, we believe that God does in our life. We think that what God does is he comes along. Go ahead and stand up for me, bro. And give me your hand. Not in a weird way. All right, so here we go. So he, we, we believe that God comes along, but then here comes this thing in Juan's life. He's going he's gonna to fall over. I want you to stumble right there and just fall for a second. There you, yeah, way to sell it. Good job. So go ahead and sit Let's sit down. So what, what we think happens here is that Jesus comes back along and he says, come here, come here, come here. Get up. Okay, there. And then we, we walk some more, right? But then he falls again. I want you to, some, oh, way to sell it. Good job. So he fa falls again, right? And we, all right, here, come on, let me help you up. There we go. Okay. And here's what we believe. We believe that God to us is nothing more than someone that helps us when we fall. In reality, come here, bro, come up here. In reality, what God, his desire for us isn't just to help us when we fall through mercy, it's to lift us up where we belong through grace. So, so he doesn't, he doesn't, what, what we think is, man, I just need God to help me so that when I fall, he's there to pick me back up. But what we never understand is that God's desire isn't just to help us when we fall. It's to put us where he, we belong. See, God said, I'm gonna, I'm not, I love you so much. I'm going to let Jesus go to the cross for you. But I'm not sending Jesus to the cross for you so that I can just be available to pick you up when you fall. I'm going to send Jesus to the cross for you so that you can stand up here next to me where you belong. In other words, there's a spot for you in heaven. There's a spot for you in grace. There's a spot for you in the throne. There's a mansion for you in the kingdom that has been set aside. You've been living your life trying not to mess up. You've been living your life trying not to fall. I'm not worried about you falling. I'm worried about you living a life where you feel like you don't belong. And if some of us could figure out that it's not about trying not to fall, that's about recognizing our place standing next to the king. 
my friends were royalty. But more importantly, you've got loved ones out there who are living their whole life just trying not to fall. You got coworkers, you've got friends, you got family living their whole life just trying not to fall. And God's saying, I wanna lift you up where you belong. Stop thinking about all the things you used to be. Start recognizing every bit of who you are. I never once walked into my dad's house and had to ask him if I could go in the pantry. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Why? I had direct access through the king of that house. I never once walked in there wondering if I was able to get a drink of tea out of the refrigerator. I had access to the king of that house. And some of us keep feeling like we're broken, fragmented, not belonging children. We, feel, we don't even feel like we're children. We just feel like we're living in a house that's not ours. And in reality, the kingdom of heaven has already been established through Jesus on the cross who has extended grace and mercy into your life that it's not about not messing up. It's about walking out the life that Jesus has already built for you to live. There is a purpose. There is a destiny for you to fulfill that is only found when you realize where you belong next to God and not trying not to fall along the path of life. Are you gonna fall? Yes, but I'm gonna fall walking next to the king. I'm not gonna fall down there in the road of life. Come back here for a second, so I wanna ask you something. Ephesians 1.5 says this, he's just gonna stand here, because I like him. God decided in advance, this is my favorite part, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. Listen to me, folks, for those of you that are sitting out there thinking that God is some kid on an anthill with a magnifying glass waiting to burn you every time you mess up, he takes pleasure in knowing that you are his and he loves you. Stop living a life that says you have to be focused more on not doing wrong things than looking for opportunities to do right things. Because his grace in you can make you great. Lastly, you better tell somebody. Turn to your neighbors and say, you better tell somebody. There you go. Juwan, I have a question for you. Juwan, have you, have you ever eaten at Brick's Pizza? Some of y'all know where I'm going with this, right? No, you never been there? It's a new place, I found it, all right? First of all, I'm a, I'm a big food fan, okay, y'all? <laughs> like, that's a secret, come on, right? So anyways, but Brick's Pizza, it's one of them, the oven pizzas, kind of like Tuscan, right? They put it in, cheese gets all melty, cooks in like five minutes, thin crust, come on, you know what I'm talking about, yeah, all right? So put it, they put it in the oven, cheese is bubbling, hits the table, you can just smell it right now, can't you? The garlic, the oregano, pepperonis, melted cheese, sauce. You better watch out. If somebody on these drums, we'll do it right now. Praise break. Anyway, so. But you know what I'm talking about. But I, I, I've had, it was amazing. Now, do you feel insulted that you haven't had it? Do you feel 
upset that I'm talking about a thing you haven't had yet? You feel like I'm judging you because you haven't had Rick's Pizza? No. You kind of are you kind of interested now? Like when you, after church, 11 o'clock service ends at 12:30. We can do this, right? Well, all right, I'll drive. Okay. Jawan didn't feel judged. He didn't feel like I, I. He didn't feel let down that I I had this thing that he had. See, some of us think that we need to preach the gospel when all in reality we just need to herald it. What I just did to Juwan right there is I just told him about this great thing that I have. I didn't tell him how terrible of a person he, he was because he hadn't had it yet. See, we think with the gospel, we have to condemn somebody and tell them all about how bad they are and how bad their life is gonna be and, and how hell is, but we feel like we gotta go into all of that. No, 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 no. When you start, when you get the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, all you gotta do is tell them about how great this thing is that you have. Because listen, you can walk on your job and just talk. When they want to know where your joy comes from, man, let me tell you about this thing I've got that nobody else has tried yet. Right, man, let me tell you about this peace that I have that you can only find in one place, right? And we start talking about Jesus as this great thing that somebody needs to have rather than convincing them of how bad of a person they are because they haven't tried it yet. But here's the thing I want to show you. I'm not going to cry. You remember when I prayed for you when you were 12 years old in the back building? Do you remember, do you remember the moment that I spiritually adopted you? Do you remember the moment that Jesus transformed your life? Do you ever regret it? You know, I'm proud of you, right? <laughs> you know, I'll always be here, right? You know, I love you. I'll tell you something. I want to tell you something. Go ahead, bro. You can go sit down. I know you want to be up here for all this. <clears throat> tell you something. Juwan came into our student ministry, 11 or 12 years old, raised by an amazing mother in our church. Amazing mother in our church. Miss Terry, we honor you wherever you're at today. But here's the deal, folks. He was still broken. Dad wasn't at home. He was lost. He didn't even know where he was going. Not just me, a group of men in this church, Anthony, Chris, and so many others stepped into his world and brought him to Jesus and showed him that there's nothing better in this world. See, Jesus was so alive to me that I had to tell somebody. When this young man walked into my student ministry, I put my arm around him and and I promised him that I would never leave him, that I'd always be there for him, and that I would always love him. Today, he heads up our security team at Transformation Church. And he's a stud leader right here at TC. Here's the deal. We have to tell somebody because this world is broken. 
If you don't believe that, that we have the solution, when, when I looked at Juwan, I didn't think I could make this amazing difference in his life because I'm awesome. I said, I gotta introduce this guy to the only person that can change his heart, that can heal his brokenness, that can save his soul, that can take him from a, a broken child to an heir, that can adopt him into royalty, that can make him not just a prince, that can make him not just a beggar, but that can make him a king, that everything that Juwan is gonna be is found in who Jesus is gonna make him. Why? because mercy and grace is going to follow him all the days of his life that he is going to be put back together that he is going to be whole because he's a king and listen to me folks people at your work are living life in the gutter they're living life in the pit and they don't know how they're going to make it through tomorrow and the only hope that lasts forever is the hope that is found in Jesus and the, the Bible says beautiful are the feet of those that carry the good news. In other words, he's already blessed you to take the gospel to a world that needs it and introduce them to a Jesus that can transform their life. Today, you better tell somebody because the world needs hope. Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they overcame him, which is the accuser. My last point, we're gonna shut this down. How many guys ever felt like the accuser was coming against you, telling you all the lies of what you're not, trying to convince you of how bad you were, you never got saved, you've never been transformed, you're still just worthless, you're still nothing. The accuser has come against you, but they overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb, this is my favorite part, and the word of their testimony. How many guys want some joy in your life? Where are we at? Let me take some of that, right? Let me tell you something, joy is found in victory. Joy comes through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes in your life through the grace of Jesus. Jesus is already victorious because he defeated death, hell, and the grave on the cross. Therefore, your joy comes through the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit is available to you because Jesus is victorious through the cross. Therefore, you have to tell someone about Jesus to claim your victory. So you want more joy in your life? You want more victory in your life? You need to start telling people about who Jesus is in your life. When we declare through our mouth the word of our testimony of how Jesus took us from where we were. He took us from our pit. He took us from our prison. He took us from this place and he brought us to the palace. He made us a king. He made us an heir to heaven. And when we can finally open our mouth, not preach at people, but herald how great he is in comparison to everything else. When we step into that moment, we grab victory. We grab joy and we make it our own because we overcome the accuser. We overcome the lies by the word of our testimony. This week, you're going to have an opportunity to engage someone with Jesus Christ. I pray that we, I, you, don't fail that. We look for every opportunity to show them the hope that is found in Jesus. Let's pray today. If you're in this place, You say, Pastor, I, I, I hear what you're preaching today and I think that's awesome, but the truth is I don't know Jesus. I don't have a testimony yet because I haven't overcome this thing. Jesus has not brought me into his kingdom. I'm not following him. I don't know him, but I want to. I don't know who he is in my life, but I need to. 
I'm not saved, but I'd like to be. If that's you today, the good news is when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't die for perfect people. He died to make people perfect. And today, wherever you are, he loves you. He wants to save you. That's you today, you're sitting in this room, you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus. I'm not a terrible person, but I don't know him. I wanna give my life to Jesus today. I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna point you out, I'm not gonna come to you. I wanna pray for you. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand right where you sit? I want Jesus to take control of my life. God bless you, God bless you, amen. Yes, yes, yes. Once you put it up, you can put it back down. Like I said, I'm not here to embarrass you. We wanna pray for you today. Is there anyone else? I want Jesus to take control of my life, Pastor. I want to surrender to him. Here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to pray together. We're going to pray. And if you pray this prayer, it doesn't make you saved. By putting your faith in Jesus alone, that is what makes you saved. But we're going to pray a prayer together to confess with our mouth what we have believed in our heart and that Jesus is taking control. And the whole church is going to pray it with you. So you're not praying it by yourself. If you're watching us online, you can pray this prayer with us as well. So let's all pray this together. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure. Make me whole. I believe you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose three days later. Through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection, I can be saved. So I thank you. I want to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, put your hands together for all those that prayed that, perhaps for the very first time.